Turn to Hebrews 9 together and talk about the first time he came, the first coming of Christ and what he accomplished. Hebrews chapter 9, toward the back of your Bible. The book of Hebrews is a, <clears throat> a wonderful book for anybody seeking to know more about the gospel, to know more about who Jesus is and what Jesus came to accomplish. The theme of Hebrews, it could be said, is that Jesus is better. Over and over again through this letter that was written to Hebrews, we see that Jesus is better than Moses, he's better than angels, and he's better, in fact, than the entire sacrificial system that God gave to Israel. Jesus is better, you could say, Jesus is the best. And we'll see here in our passage that Jesus' sacrifice is better than any other sacrifice that's ever been made. Because of sin in the world, because of sin that has infected every human heart, because of sin that has touched every man and woman, God set up a system in the Old Testament, a system in that first covenant that he made with Israel, a system of bloody sacrifices. Now, he did this for multiple reasons. You can say, really, anytime you're wondering why God does something, the answer is always because he's getting the most glory that way. He does all things to glorify himself. But in this Old Testament sacrificial system, God was doing many things. One of the things he was doing was showing Israel, showing sinners just how bad sin is. Having to make continual sacrifices, having to put to death a living being over and over and over again, that communicates something, doesn't it? It's a very graphic picture. It's a living illustration of our sin and how offensive it is to God. However, there was another purpose behind this and that God was telling his nation what he was going to do ultimately for sin. Because they did have to make sacrifices continually. They had, year after year, they had to make sacrifices on the Day of Atonement. There was no end to that until the Messiah came. And when Jesus Christ came, he made that final sacrifice as a fulfillment of the shadow that was cast before in the Old Testament of these goats and bulls dying over and over again, year after year. And here in the book of Hebrews, as the author is walking through this sacrificial system, he explains in great detail the setting, the tabernacle that was set up. God commanded that this structure look a certain way, that it contained certain fabrics and certain imagery. And the author reminds his audience of what that looked like and how the high priest would go in once a year and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. But let's pick up in verse 6 of chapter 9 and follow along with this author as he explains how Jesus fulfilled this image. It says, starting in verse 6 of Hebrews 9, Now when these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship. But into the second, only the high priest enters once a year not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. 
The Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience, since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Wow. Those last two verses, 13 and 14, that's one long question. (laughs) And it's a very important question, one that I want us to ponder here tonight. But if you look back at verse 11 with me that I just read, you'll notice that it starts with that word, but. There's a contrast being set up here between those First Testament sacrifices and now the New Testament once for all final sacrifice. A contrast between the year after year high priest sacrifices in Israel and the once for all sacrifice of the great high priest, the best and final sacrifice of Jesus the Messiah. We see in this passage that it was not the blood of goats and calves, but it was his own blood. That's a major difference. No high priest in Israel ever took his own blood into the holy place. He couldn't do that. His blood was defiled by sin. But this priest offered his own blood. This great high priest, Jesus, did not offer the death of animals for a momentary cleansing, for a yearly cleansing, but he offered up himself. It was his own death that was offered for a permanent cleansing major sacrifice that's very, very important. But also vital to all of this is that Jesus didn't clean the external sphere. You'll notice here in our text, it talks about the flesh being cleansed in those Old Testament sacrifices. The flesh was cleaned. But instead, Jesus cleanses the internal sphere, not man's flesh, but man's soul. Not the outside of a man, but the inside of a man. And that, of course, is what is truly needed. If anyone is going to be saved, it's nothing on the outside. It's nothing external that must change, but his heart must change. He must be born again. The root of sin goes down deep into the soul of a man. Sin affects our core, our heart. We've been polluted by transgression. We've been totally corrupted in our innermost being. And here comes the final high priest, the great high priest with the final sacrifice, and he offers to cleanse that innermost part. He offers a salvation that cleanses our hearts, our souls. The rituals that were given to Israel just could never have fixed their problem. 
They were communicating a message. They were leading up to the final answer to their big problem, but they didn't in themselves fix the problem. They foreshadowed what would fix the problem. Those sacrifices that were made, those religious works that were done, that God commanded, they related to the outside of the body, and they were not final in any sense. They did not impact the conscience of men. Look at verse 10 again with me. Notice how the author of Hebrews here says that these rituals only relate to food and drink and various washings. These rituals were not soul-penetrating, soul-reforming works. They couldn't be. They only pertain to food and drink and washings. There was no new birth in that. There was no final assurance in that. Look at verse 13 with me. Again, our author says, this was for the cleansing of the flesh. The flesh is our body. It's our outside. It's, of course, our skin. It's, It's who we are physically. These washings pertained to the cleansing of the flesh, but these washings, these sacrifices, these rituals did not pertain to the cleansing of man's spirit. They never could. They could never free us ultimately from sin. How could animal sacrifices ever do what Jesus went on to do for us? They never could. They absolutely never could. Consider some more contrasts that make Christ's sacrifice better. Even just the mere fact that it wasn't an animal being sacrificed in Christ's death. It was Jesus himself who was, as the author of Hebrews says, made like us in every respect. The eternal Son of God, who never had a beginning, who was not created, he was begotten by the Father, but never created, not made. Eternally, the Son of God always existed, and yet he was made like us in every respect. He was tempted, the author of Hebrews tells us. He couldn't have been tempted as he was existing in divine, eternal form, in the form of God, equal with God. Philippians chapter 2 says he could have never been tempted, but he came here to this earth and he was in the likeness of men. He was like us in his humanity, yet without sin. Tempted, tried, hungry, tired, annoyed, maybe, (laughs) frustrated, maybe, but never sinned like us in every respect. And he was not an unwilling sacrifice. Those animals, they were obviously dragged to the slaughter. If you've ever had to put an animal down, you know that there's some natural instinct there in an animal. And he was not unwilling. He went to the cross willingly. He came to die. He knew this from all eternity. This was the plan. Scripture says that Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This was no surprise. It was a totally volitional sacrifice. He was made like us in every respect, meaning he had a human will. Jesus had a human will. And with that human will, he was perfectly obedient to the Father in all things and was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus' sacrifice was not a sacrifice of man's work. 
but it was the sacrifice of the eternal Son offered up through the eternal Spirit. You see that in verse 14. It says that the blood of Christ was offered through the eternal Spirit. This sacrifice was not reliant on man's performance. Those old covenant sacrifices, it required that man be obedient, that man follow God's command, that man get those animals and slaughter those animals and take that blood and sprinkle that blood and do the whole ritual just as God said. It was entirely dependent on man obeying God's command. But not with Jesus' sacrifice. It was all dependent on the Son of God. He himself was the mediator of his own sacrifice. He himself was the priest of his own sacrifice. It didn't require our faithfulness. It was all about his faithfulness. And instead of just cleansing the flesh, when this sacrifice is applied to a believer, look again at verse 14. It's not that the flesh is cleansed, but instead the believer's conscience is cleansed from dead works to serve the living God. And this is a need that we all have. There is not one person on the face of this earth that we could say, well, he doesn't need cleansing in his conscience. Perhaps you've met people who are real sweet. Perhaps you've met people who just seem like they did everything right all the time. Maybe you've met people that you just thought were, were so righteous, maybe perfect people. But it's not true. Any Anytime we infer that someone is perfect, that's just a facade because every single person has sinned. Every single person has fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person is a rebel at heart. There's not one exception. Every single person has sinned against his maker. Naturally, man is enslaved to these dead works that verse 14 talks about. What comes naturally to us is not living works. If you know yourself pretty well, you know this is true. That what comes naturally to you is selfishness. What comes naturally is pride. What comes naturally is serving yourself and exalting yourself. These are dead works. Performance is a dead work. We have this deadness due to our sin. Jeremiah 17, 9, a very important verse. It says the heart, the human heart is wicked. It's deceitful. It is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Psalm 51, verse 5, David cries out that in sin, his mother conceived him. From the moment of conception, we believe life begins at conception, don't we? Well, we also believe that a person is a sinner from conception. That person has sin from conception. That's what Scripture teaches. That's how deep the root of sin goes. That's how big the sin problem really is. So naturally, we have works that do not flow from life. We have works that flow from sin and death. And our works never result in, li in life. We, we can't work our way to eternal life. We can't earn for ourselves life. We can't reverse our situation by our own power. We can't recognize that we're dead and then earn living for ourselves. But we are trapped, we are enslaved to sin and death. But the good news of the gospel, 
The good news of Friday, this is Good Friday after all, right? What's so good about it is that Jesus' death offers us a way out, a way of escape, a way of cleansing, a means of renewal and restoration and redemption. Perhaps I've shared this story before, but when I was a new Christian and I was uh, working in a, uh, an oil change and tire changing place, which I have no business working in, I, uh, I was just the order taker. I didn't actually damage someone's car because that's what would have happened is I would have damaged the car. But uh, <clears throat> I was working with a, a guy, lots of guys who were not Christians. I don't think I had one Christian coworker. And it was Good Friday, and a coworker of mine asked me the question, if Jesus died on that day, why is it called Good Friday? And as a new believer, I kind of had to wrestle with that for a moment. Like, hey, yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. If that's the day that my Lord and my God was killed, then how do I call that good? But of course, it doesn't take much study in the Word of God to recognize that Jesus' death in our place for our sins is our only means of redemption. It's our only way of being saved. It's our only hope of going to heaven. And if that's not good, I don't know what is good. If we can't call that good, then there is no good. As Andy said today at the funeral service, he knows he's a sinner. But he also knows that Jesus is his only hope. And we look at what Jesus has done. He came to die for us as a substitute. The death we deserve because of our sin, the death we earned for ourselves. It says in Romans 6.23 that what we have earned from our sin is death. You, you can work, you can go through rituals, and you can, you can really try to perform and get life for yourself, and you will earn something, it just won't be life. You will earn for yourself death. But if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you see that the free gift of God is found in the work of Jesus Christ, not in your work, not in your performance, but in the final sacrifice, the best sacrifice of Jesus Christ, God will impart to you life, resulting in more life. He will come into your heart. He will cause you to be born again to a living hope, and you will have in your heart flowing up springs of eternal life. You'll have a joy and a peace in your heart because of the pardon that God has issued, because of what He has done. You can have eternal assurance. You can have absolute hope. Those who trust in the biblical gospel are able to truly live with God and for God eternally. When we believe in the gospel... And it starts with a humble admission that we are indeed sinners. This is what I would call agreeing with God. We are agreeing with God about our condition, that we are in sin, that we're unable to remedy ourselves, and that we deserve death. If, if you haven't had that moment, if you haven't had that recognition, it's doubtful that you understand the gospel at all, because you have to recognize what the problem is that you are a sinner deserving of punishment. You are a sinner deserving 
of death. You are a sinner who cannot fix yourself. Our God is a good and holy God. He created this place. This is his world. And we willfully broke his commands. We willfully sinned and rebelled. And he is a good judge. Our sin deserves judgment. But we look to Jesus as Christians, and we see that he came here because he loves us. Not because we twisted his arm. It says in Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not while we got our act together. Not while we figured it all out and said the right thing, then he showed up. Not back when we built the Tower of Babel trying to make our name great. None of that. It was out of his own love, out of his own volition, that he humbled himself to save us. That he died for you and for me. That he carried your sin to the cross and that the nails penetrated his hands and his feet and that he gave up his spirit. He breathed his last after proclaiming, it is finished. And it is for you and me that he rose again. The last verse of Romans chapter 4, I don't remember the verse number, it says, he was raised for our justification. Jesus was, was raised from the dead so that we would be justified, that we would be declared innocent. He, the eternally pure one, the eternally innocent one, he took the death we deserve that we would be declared innocent. Not by joining him with our own performance, not by joining him with our own works, not by joining him trying to earn something from God, but by submitting to his finished work, by yielding to the final sacrifice, by agreeing with God that yes, we are great sinners, but yes, Jesus is our hope. That we have salvation in Christ alone. I believe it would be quite appropriate for you to ask yourself tonight, has your conscience been cleansed? If this is our great need, not an external cleansing, but an internal cleansing, and our only hope of that is through faith in the good news of Jesus Christ, has that happened to you? Have you been cleansed? Have you come to God in humility to agree with him about your condition and about the solution. His sacrifice on the cross, Jesus' sacrifice, the best and final sacrifice, is paramount, absolutely paramount in all of world history. And it's validated by the works that followed, namely his resurrection and his ascension, that's the picture of the gospel. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, I delivered to you what was of first importance, that Jesus died according to the Scriptures, was buried, and was raised according to the Scriptures. That is what is of utmost importance, the apostle says. You have to reckon with this event in your life. You have to look at the cross. There are so many ways that man tries to avoid looking at the cross like it's a, a glare or something, trying to cover it up. But you have to reckon with the cross. And you can see it tonight as good news. You can see that day that Jesus was crucified as a good day. 
if he is your savior, if that blood was shed for you, we sing that hymn, have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the lamb? Ask yourself, am I washed? Jesus died to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he proved that when he walked out of the grave. And now we can gladly look to him, not just as the Savior who died, but the Savior who rose again. And he did so for you and me. Now, on this good Friday evening, as we transition into what had to be a very interesting moment for those who lived through it, this time when he was in the grave, when his disciples were scared and scattered, we do well to meditate on the cross, knowing that's not the end, right? Jesus didn't die on the cross, and that's it. We always remember the resurrection. But we also do well to remember that he did die on the cross, and that it was a bloody sacrifice. It was very painful. It was excruciating. In his humanity, he felt it all because he was made like you and me. And so let's remember that as we go into our final hymn. And after the final hymn, I want you to remain standing. Logan will read the last portion of John 19 that will leave us hanging before the resurrection, just like they were living it. And so let's have this in our hearts. Let's have this in our minds as we go into this weekend, remembering Christ's best and final sacrifice. Find your hymnals and please stand.